0: Okay, we're going to end the day uh, um, talking about dinosaurs because um, most people find them more exciting than these, except for Adventists. (laughs) Uh, um, And so we're going to look at why are dinosaurs only found in the middle of the fossil record? They're only found in the Mesozoic. And um, the the Well, let me go on through and talk about it. But let's start again with prayer once again. Dear Lord, we're changing subjects. It's still um, an interesting time. But you've given us information that allows us to stand with confidence in your word and know that we can understand the history of the earth that you've given us with integrity that we can look at the fossil record and understand it and be honest with it um, because of what you've left for us. Now, as we discuss this and pass this information on, we again ask for your Holy Spirit and your holy angels to guide the whole interaction that we can come away with a true understanding that supports your word because we've committed it all to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, it's gonna be hard to talk about dinosaurs with the other guys sitting out here, Um, but I'm not gonna take the time to put them all away yet. (laughs) Um, So one thing I wanna talk about is the difference between data and interpretation. Um, That may sound technical, but data is something that you look like. This is a Neanderthal pelvis. It's based on a real specimen, came from France. There are real characters on it that you can see. Um, those what are things that you can see and measure, those are data. Interpretation is what you do with the data. So as you look down the line, each one of those skulls has a set of characters that will be data for that skull and data for the series. But what that series represents is interpretation. To the evolutionary scientist, that will be interpreted as representing an evolutionary series. Um, To me as a creationist, I look at that and say, well, that looks like um, what um, I would predict from amalgamation um, or blending or genetic engineering, but that's my interpretation. And so we need to keep separate in our understanding data and interpretation. Because oftentimes data can have multiple interpretations, not just one. So the, the evolutionary scientists and myself are looking at the same data set. But we're interpreting it differently f- because our world views are different. So there may be some data that is used to support evolution that when you look at it critically and you interpret it from your point of view actually explains the, the, what you see better than the evolutionary hypothesis. And I think dinosaurs is one of those. I want to offer you an interpretation of the data of the fossil record in dinosaurs that's intellectually honest and biblically consistent. I want to show you that you can be intellectually honest and still believe the Bible. Alright, we already did that. The standard geologic column, the major divisions are the Paleozoic, Mesozoic, and Cenozoic. That's over here, Paleozoic, Mesozoic, Cenozoic. Paleozoic means old animal life, old zoo. Paleozoic, old zoo. Mesozoic means middle zoo. (laughs) Cenozoic means late zoo. You can see that there's nothing um, too complicated about that. Dinosaurs are restricted to the Mesozoic or the middle zoo. The order of the geologic column is real, and it's based on observation. If you were to take a trip, and I'd love to do that with some students um, sometime, is go to the Grand Canyon, you can see from the Cambrian. So if we look here, we're gonna look through the Cambrian, up through the Paleozoic, Mesozoic, and Tertiary. So you go up through the Grand Canyon, you're going up through the Paleozoic, the kaibab limestone that makes the, the cap here, the kaibab plateau, is uh, Permian, the last layer of the Paleozoic. These mud layers here, the Moen, Copian up, are Mesozoic. And finally the Wa- um, Wasatch, they don't call it Wasatch anymore, In uh, Cedar Breaks area, anyway, uh, that's uh, tertiary. So you can walk up yourself. And you can collect fossils outside of the national park <laughs> um and verify for yourself that the order is real. So here's the Grand Canyon. This stuff is pre-Cambrian, means it means lies below the Cambrian boundary. The Tapete sandstone is the base of the Cambrian. Bright Angel Shale and Muav limestone, those are all Cambrian. And you go on up uh through the, this is a cool one, the Coconino sandstone. Dr. Brand at uh, Loma Linda has studied that extensively. It's got footprints in it um, from uh, late Paleozoic amphibians crawling across some sand dune-like things. Um, Then you can go up to the Kaibab Plateau Drive along that to the belted cliffs, the vermilion cliffs, the white cliffs, the gray cliffs, the pink cliffs, (coughs) all these cool cliffs. (laughs) Um, So you notice back here that you have all of these different cliffs going. That in the back there's the Navajo Sandstone, which is is, uh, Jurassic. And then you can go from um, Zion National Park along the Carmel Formation up through Bryce Canyon in the Tertiary. So I want you to see that the order in the fossil record is real and it's based on observation. (laughs) Um, I'm gonna look in detail here at this Permian section. And I want you to see, um, this happens to be a kind of fossil um, called a brachiopod you aren't gonna know what it is cuz they're all extinct but there there are some today a little different than these things they're called lamp shells um they look like a clam kind of but they have uneven shells the the bottom shell is uh, usually smaller than the top shell and they have a little hole in the sh- anyway they're different <laughs> um but what ch- what i want you to get out of this is there is order here if you're carefully measuring where they are found in the rock layers. Um, so here is uh, are the rocks um, that were studied by Murchison in Russia. In these layers he found rocks equivalent to the Carboniferous in England, the, the rocks that held all of the, the coal measures fueled the industrial revolution. Um, The coal measures became the carboniferous. And then above the fossils here in Russia there were a whole bunch of other layers that sat on top of these. These happened to be near the town of Perm in the Caucasus Mountains. Um, And so it became the Permian because these fossils were from Perm, Russia. Um, These are Permian fusillinids. They're a giant single-celled amoeba-like thing, uh, about a half-inch long, shaped like a bullet. So the ranges of these different fossils is strictly based on observation. It is real. If you were to look at Go back to here, the Perm Mountains, Carboniferous, Moscovian, now where would you guess the Moscovian would be from? Yeah, (laughs) hard to figure that one, huh? Uh, um, If you were to to walk through these from the Carboniferous on up and you carefully measured where you collected each fossil, you could end up with a chart that looks like this. Going from the Carboniferous to the, the Permian. Two main interpretations then would be evolution or Noah's Flood. The, the question is how do you preserve order in a flood? It all mixes it together, huh? <laughs> um, or like Bill Cosby, and he's getting, so that I can't use these jokes anymore because they say Bill who? <laughs> um, Bill Cosby made a record when I was a kid. The old kind you put on a platter, anyway. um, He did one on Noah's Ark, uh, on Noah. And God was talking to Noah. And uh, he said he was gonna bring a flood and stuff like that. And Noah says, well, why don't you just let it rain 40 days and 40 nights and wait for the sewers to back up? but we have this, this kind of conception of the flood as being one of, um, of chaos. So how do you get order out of chaos? And so that's kind of basically the, the theme then that we're going to talk about because the fossil record is a record of order. It's not a record of chaos, and so how do we get it? The order in which different plant and animal types first appear and then become extinct is based on observation. Again, we have, whoops, we have here this range of first appearance and last appearances. Some have long ranges, some have short ranges. Um, that's real and based on where they found that in in this rock sequence. So a a biblically consistent interpretation of those observations is that the geologic column is the result of Noah's flood. So we had to say um, from the first lecture, some of you may have missed it, that there was no death before sin according to Paul. And I can give you the references to it. And he also says that all creation groans under sin. (laughs) So, if there was no death before sin, when did sin happen? After Adam was created, right? So there's no death before Adam is created. I'm seeing some blank eyes here. (laughs) Um, Sin happened after Adam and Eve were created. Otherwise, Eve couldn't bring apples to Adam, okay? So sin happened after Adam was created. If there was no sin before death, death before sin, if there was no death before sin, then there had to be a period of time between when Adam was created until sin where there was no death, no animal death, okay? So what are fossils? Dead things, yeah. Fossils are all dead things. So therefore, if the Bible is true, then there could be no fossils before Adam. So therefore, when would the fossils have formed? after sin, right. And uh, the big event after sin that would make lots of fossils is Noah's Flood, right. So as the flood waters rose, they encountered different biomes or habitats and destroyed them and buried them in succession. So this is how we're going to get order. Not 40 days and 40 nights of, of rain washing stuff down the hills, but tsunamis rising up and destroying habitats. We've recently heard a lot about tsunamis in Indonesia. Do you all remember those? That's one earthquake. In the flood you have whole plates moving around. What kind of tsunamis are you gonna have during the flood? Um, you can move a lot of water, and a lot of water can move a lot of dirt. So if we look at, a, at if the flood was to happen today. Now, unfortunately, there's not very many places that you can get very high on the east coast. Um, you have to go to the west coast to get 10, 000, above 10,000 feet get above 7,000 feet very much. You have to go to the west coast. So let's look at the west coast, the Sierra Nevada mountains and say, okay, what would happen if we had a flood today? And a flood was to come up the Sierra Nevadas and as the tsunamis came up, they reached and destroyed different habitats and they wash all of that mud and dead stuff out into the Sacramento Valley, and it accumulates as the waters rise up through the Sierra Nevada Mountains. We're gonna go through this quickly. Um, There are biomes, so we have these and they have names. You have the lower Sonoran, the upper Sonoran, transition Canadian Hudsonian, and Arctic Alpine life zones. My word, where would you think the Sonoran life zone would be from? Sonora, Mexico. Oh, the Canadian life zone. That would be tough. Um, Hudsonian, Hudson Bay. So all of these life zones that were given names, the names are based on places where they were typically found and and described. Wow, where did we just see that? Where was the Moscovian from? Uh, California. Idaho there is a Moscow Idaho. Um, Is there a Moscow California? Sonora Sonora, California yeah I graduated from high school there. Uh. So we can make a chart based on living animals of California and where they're found in the Sierra Nevadas and the order that they would be buried if they were destroyed by tsunamis from rising f- flood waters. Does that look familiar, that pattern? <clears throat> this is if there was a flood today going up through the Sierra Nevadas. So here is some fossil mammals from Barstow, California, modern mammals through the Sierra Nevadas. We see that the pattern is the same So there's a detailed order of first and last appearances that can be correlated around the globe. If the flood were to happen today, there would be a succession of biomes encountered and buried in a predictable order. Not everything washed down from the Sierra Nevadas into one um, mumbled mess in the Sacramento Valley, but that the great destruction was tsunamis hitting there. I'm telling you those trees aren't even going to stand up. You get hit by a series of tsunamis. It's going to take out everything to the bedrock and and wash it out. So this pattern of distribution that you saw first and last occurrences uh, of modern animals is similar to that seen in the fossil record. So why do we have biomes? Because as cool air rises, higher elevations are cooler than lower elevations. Plants and animals are designed to live in a certain environment and presumably the same laws of physics that govern our world today operated before the flood. So why are higher elevations cooler than lower elevations? Because gas expands as the pressure decreases. That's what makes our refrigerators work. (laughs) Um, and presumably expanding gases would be cooler before the flood as they are today. So if the geologic column was formed during Noah's flood then those layers formed first represent lower elevations than those layers on top of them. Furthermore, the Cambrian has to be older than the Ordovician. Why? Because the Ordovician's sitting on top of it. It had to be there before the Ordovician could be put on top of it. Therefore, it has to be older. Now, it doesn't say anything about how much older. Whether it was minutes, years, millions of years, it doesn't say how much. It just says the Cambrian is older than the Ordovician. It couldn't have been deposited after the Ordovician and be deposited underneath it. So lower elevations then are warmer than higher elevations, therefore higher layers in the geologic column represent higher cooler pre-flood environments. Now what does that mean for our dinosaurs? Our dinosaurs are only found in the Mesozoic. So is the Mesozoic warmer or cooler than the tertiary? warmer. Is it warmer or cooler than the Paleozoic? Cooler. So then this drawing was done by Harold Clark back in 1946 or something in the New Diluvialism. He's the one that first came up with this model. And he's showing you here the Paleozoic, the Mesozoic, and the Cenozoic environments as the flood might have looked as he understood it in the 1940s, if the flood waters were to rise before the flood and bury all of these environments in the order in which they're found. Notice then that the dinosaurs, the dinosaurs are living at an elevation lower than the mammals are living. Okay, we already did that. Large modern mammals like the horse, camel, and elephant are not found in Mesozoic, but are common in the Cenozoic. How do we explain that? If it didn't evolve, why are there no camels, elephants, and horses in the same sediments that contain dinosaurs? Dinosaurs could run faster. And dinosaurs are pretty big. Um, human remains are only found at the very top of the Cenozoic at the top of the top what's that? dinosaurs are the dominant land animals of the Mesozoic they're filling virtually all of the niches that mammals fill today, and that mammals filled in the Cenozoic. Does everybody understand niche? It's habitats, you know. So like, um, well, I'll show you here. Oh, no, I won't. You have big plant eaters, and middle plant eaters, and little plant eaters, and big meat eaters, and different, little meat eaters, et cetera. Those are different niches. And bats fill a, f- fill a flying niche and dolphins and whales fill a swimming niche. By the way, dinosaurs are real. And some of my classes, I get students who don't believe that dinosaurs are real. Satan created them, they're amalgamation, whatever, but they're not real. I'm sorry, they're real. (laughs) Um, Each year, in cooperation with Southwestern, We conduct a quarry in eastern Wyoming where over a thousand specimens are collected every year. Now that doesn't mean that every specimen is big. They had little tail bones, little toe bones, (laughs) um, stuff like that. So there's lots of little bones and some big bones. And I have to say that my wife is an ER physician and it was fun to watch her with her little gloves on and, and her little dental pick Working on this pelvis, (laughs) you know, Um, something was scale here was was different. Anyway, um, this is our dig site, and that's Kathleen Wilson. So, uh, if we look at our Mesozoic niches that are filled with dinosaurs, there are large, um, medium, small. Plant eaters back. There are large I don't have a good medium. Uh and small carnivores. Um as well. Um, yeah. Don't you think some of these animals I mean what what you're saying is that they're buried based on their their dwelling buried. if they could we are not going to have time to go through it so i'm going to give you the short answer um, i believe that each habitat was actually surrounded by a moat um, because in our layers we'll f- often find aquatic layers <laughs> things that have seashells and stuff like that in between layers that contain terrestrial vertebrates. Um, And so where were these marine ones living, et cetera. And so I think that there were physical barriers that kept some of the habitats from mixing. They couldn't get out if they wanted to. (laughs) Um, But I don't have time, this talk, to go into that. Okay, so in the Mesozoic you have the Um, dolphin and whale equivalent in the ichthyosaur. We'll come back and talk about how we know that this isn't a whale. How do you know that's not a whale? Somebody ought to be able to tell me from here why that's not a whale. Huh? They can have long noses. The, The tail, it goes up and down. Uh, A whale whale tail goes side to side, so it's a fluke. Uh, um, You know, you haven't seen a picture of whales with a fluke? The ichthyosaur's tail goes up and down like a shark. So their body looks more shark-like than whale-like. There's even the bat equivalent in the pterosaur. There are no bats in the Mesozoic. That niche is filled with a reptile, the pterosaurs. So how do we know they're reptiles? Yeah. I was gonna ask that flying thing, which layer were they found in? Uh, Pterosaurs go from the Triassic, they go through the whole Mesozoic, different species of them. None of them are found um, above the Mesozoic. They went extinct there. Now these animals are clearly reptiles, how do I know? Because you can look at the jaw of an alligator or a lizard and you see that the bone that holds the teeth doesn't articulate with the back of the skull. There are several other bones here between the bone that holds the teeth and the skull. They have several bones that make up the lower jaw. If we look at a mammal, and we are mammals. We have a single bone that makes up the lower jaw. That bone holds the teeth and that bone articulates directly with the brain. We have a, uh, not the brain, the skull. You have a dentary squamosal jaw articulation in mammals. You have an articulate, quadrate jaw articulation in reptiles, just in case you wanted to know. So those ichthyosaurs have a reptilian jaw structure, a jaw jaw structure that's more like a crocodile than it is like a whale. So reptiles are filling most of the niches mammals are filling in the modern world. There are no large modern mammals found in any Mesozoic deposit. So if evolution didn't occur, macroevolution anyway, How do we, as creationists, explain the lack of modern mammals in the Mesozoic? Okay, creationists, we don't believe in evolution. Fine. We have a place where we can ourselves observe and dig, and we have for 10 years, dig there, collected, I don't know, 12,000 specimens of dinosaurs, et cetera. Not one large mammal. Why? Yeah. The reptiles were cold blooded, so they're in warmer regions. The the larger mammals might have had more hair, so they were at higher altitudes. That's that's probably exactly what I'm going to tell you. Although, (laughs) what what the uh, um, evolutionists might say, though, is that we have plenty of alligators and mammals today. Uh, um, So, how does that? keep you from having mammals down with alligators um, and stuff in the Mesozoic. The answer is body temperature regulation. I'm going to give you some terms you can go to sleep now and wake up after this couple of slides. Uh, um, I don't like cold blooded and warm blooded and I'm going to show you why. Homeothermic means, what does homeo mean? Same, Same, right. Thermic? Temperature. So homeothermic maintains a constant body temperature. Hetero means what? Variable. Ecto means what? Outside. So the body temperature comes from the outside or from the environment. Endo? Inside. So we are homeothermic endotherms. Now that that sounds kind of technical. Not hard to understand, but why don't I just say warm-blooded? We are, yeah, that's her. (laughs) We are homeothermic endotherms. Our temperature remains about 98.6. It's produced internally through um, metabolism of what we eat. Our body temperature is not truly homeothermic. It, It can vary. I had a friend many years ago that wanted to get pregnant and so every day she checked her temperature so she could tell when she was ovulating. <laughs> um, so our body temperatures can vary um, depending on the time of day and time of month, etc. So when we say 98.6, that's kind of an average. Modern reptiles like these large giant iguana or alligators or crocodiles are get their environment externally from f- get their temperature externally from the environment and their body temperature then varies with the the body temperature. So fine, why don't I just call them cold-blooded and then we don't have to call them heterothermic ectotherms. Well, we have homeothermic ectotherms. There are fish off New Guinea, the ocean temperature varies less than our body temperature does. Their body temperature therefore varies less than ours does even though the temperature comes from the environment. Are they warm-blooded or cold-blooded? Well, they're homeothermic ectotherms. That makes it real clear what they are. Furthermore, when a mammal, like a bear or a squirrel or whatever, goes into hibernation, its body temperature drops down to a few degrees above the ambient temperature where it's hibernating. Then they come out and the body temperature goes back up again. So they are heterothermic endotherms. Are they cold-blooded or warm-blooded? So When we're talking about dinosaurs, it's going to be interesting to say were they cold-blooded or warm-blooded. There's a lot of debate about that today in the literature. You've heard about the hot-blooded dinosaurs. Um, Well, were they hot-blooded because they had a high metabolic rate or were they hot-blooded because they lived in, in a hot environment? If the ambient temperature, if you're a heterothermic ectotherm, if the ambient temperature, come on, where's, oh, I have it here. If the ambient temperature is ideal, you're burning a few calories, you're hunting, you're successful, ideal activity. If it's too cold, you go to sleep, but you're not burning any heat. If it's too hot, you go to sleep, but you stay asleep. However, the advantage to being a homeothermic ectotherm is that you don't expend any energy when you don't need to. You see the stance. The limbs are out to the side. You don't want to move. You're just laying down on the ground. Lizards, they get warm, they can move pretty fast. Ask any kid that's tried to catch one. (laughs) You know, they can go. but when they're not going, they're not expending any energy. That means they don't have to consume as much food for their activity. So they don't need to expend any energy when they're not standing. Well, they do too. You have to have some energy to stay alive at all. Homeothermic endotherms burn calories. So if it's just the right temperature, we're comfortable, we're burning about the pig is burning about 110 calories um, per hour. If, you, if it's too cold, then we can shiver. That generates heat by burning energy, making the muscles move. So we can maintain, maintain our body temperature, but look, we're burning 400 calories per pound. If we look at, if it's too hot, we can still be active. Oops but it's gonna cost us 200 calories per pound to maintain our body temperature. If it gets too hot, we can behave like the reptile that gets too hot. (coughs) Um, We can have a stroke or uh, other problems. However, uh, the limbs of (coughs) of, of a mammal, of a homeothermic endotherm, The limbs are underneath the body. That requires a constant expenditure of energy. It takes energy for us to sit. The only time we're not using muscle energy is when we're in REM sleep, (laughs) basically. Rapid eye movement. Yeah, when we're deep sleep. is the only time we're not using any. Thank you. If we look at, yeah, that higher energy rate implies a higher metabolic rate. So now let's compare a centrosaurus and a rhinoceros, about the same size. Look at the limb structure here of the centrosaurus, dinosaur, compared with the um, rhinoceros. Or let's compare a Triceratops and an elephant. These are animals about the same size. Notice the limb structure. Their limb structure is very much more reptilian—I mean mammalian—than it is reptilian. Very much more like the elephant than it is like the um, like the alligator. Dinosaurs are reptiles behaving like mammals. We know that dinosaurs are reptiles. This happens to be a, a Tyrannosaurid, Daspletosaurus. Um, we know that they are reptiles because of the way the skull is structured. <laughs> Furthermore, you see all these open spaces? Where's the brain? Tyrannosaurus, the brain is right here. In Tyrannosaurus, one tooth is the same size as their brain. <laughs> um, when you saw the movie Jurassic Park, or you heard of it because I know you didn't go see movies, um, but when you heard about the movie Jurassic Park, they showed this raptor, you know, with all this intelligence hunting people down. I'm sorry, he has his brain as big as a tooth, too. Uh, um, he's not doing any great calculations, trust me. <laughs> my sole anti-evolution tirade in this stuff. I'm trying to get us to think now not as anti-evolution, but how do we as creationists understand the record? Um, If we look at the first mammals, the first mammals appear about the same time as the first dinosaurs. So if mammals are more evolutionarily advanced than dinosaurs, Why did mammals stay rare and small through the entire Mesozoic, whereas dinosaurs became diverse and big? (coughs) Um, Give me an explanation for that, evolutionist. Uh, um, But I'm gonna give you an explanation that can explain that as a creationist that evolutionists can't explain. And that has to do with the transfer of body heat. Are you all ready for your first quiz? What is the formula for volume? Four-thirds pi r cubed. I'll remember that from grade school. Area is pi r squared. What does that mean? That means if if we look at your ratio of your surface area to your volume. If you double your size, you you cube your volume, but you only square your surface area. Now I'm seeing more deer in the headlights here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What that means is, let's look at an example. Here is a one pound rabbit. He is burning 280 calories per pound per hour, 280. He has 75 square inches per pound, therefore his body heat per square inch is 3.7 calories. Now let's look at a 10,000 pound elephant. He's 10,000 times bigger than a rabbit as, as far as weight goes. He is burning 28 calories per pound. So he's burning 10 times less energy than the rabbit. Let's look at his surface area. That means his, how much skin does he have compared to how much volume he has. He has 3.4 square inches per pound. So notice, even though the, the, the rabbit's burning 280 calories per hour, he has 75 square inches per pound, where the elephant only has 3.4 square inches per pound. 3.4 to 75. He's burning 10 times less calories, but he only has 3.4 square inches to go through. He's burning 8 calories per square inch so he's burning he's trying to get twice as much heat out across his skin as the rabbit even though he's eating 10 times less calories 10 times less calories twice as much heat across a square inch of his body now let's think about a dinosaur how many square inches of skin is Dino got. <clears throat> so again, if the radius is doubled, the volume is cubed, but the surface is only squared. The bigger you are, the less surface area you have per inch of volume. Translate that to kids. Little baby, body temperature. Ninety-eight point six one minute, a hundred and five the next. You know, their body temperature can go and then you put them in a tepid bath and zing, it's back down to normal real quick. (laughs) A human, an adult human, if you have a hundred and five degree temperature, you're in serious trouble. And how can you get it down rapidly? You can't. (laughs) And if you go to the ER or whatever, they have a, a cooling pad that they'll try and wrap you in to get your body temperature down. The only difference is that the smaller you are, like a baby, the more surface area you have compared to your volume, the more rapidly your heat can change. So the answer to why there are no large mammals in the Mesozoic is because if it's hot enough for an ectotherm to maintain a body temperature the same as you and me, that means that the outside temperature averages 95, 98.6, whatever. If it's hot enough for a dinosaur to behave like a mammal, and it gets its heat from the outside, what's gonna happen if you put a human down there with the dinosaur? Where does our body heat come from? Inside, all right, so let's say that it's 98 degrees outside all the time. What's gonna happen to our body temperature? Well, it's not gonna stay 98. Our body temperature is gonna climb so we can radiate our heat out. <laughs> um, so what happens if we're trying to work when it's 102 outside? You know. Um, so we can see that, in, that there could be a habitat that's warmer than any modern habitat today Now I've been told, yeah, look at Texas. Yeah, I've been in San Antonio, loved it. 104 during the day and it'd cool all the way down to 102 at night. (laughs) Uh, um, But what are you gonna get done when it's that hot? No, you're gonna try and find a hole. Uh, um, The same thing is true with mammals. There are mammals that live in San Antonio where it gets that hot. Fortunately, it, there's no place in the world that it stays that hot You know, 365 days a year. Furthermore, think about how you reproduce. Where are the ovaries? Deep inside the body. So what temperature are they maintained? 98.6. Where do the males carry the the sperm? Outside. Um, The male sperm has to be maintained at a lower temperature than the body temperature. So they're outside. I'm, I'm telling you, the animals in Texas are not breeding when it's 102 outside. When do the mammals in Texas breed? February, March you know when it's a more reasonable temperature. You say well go to the tropics. The tropics feel bad. I mean you go to the the Caribbean in the summer or whatever. Um, parts of the Caribbean, doesn't matter what time of the year. Uh, and it's like here. <laughs> it's hot and humid and you don't feel like doing anything but what temperature is it 88 (laughs) you know Um, so it's still not 98 with that humidity constantly so we can explain why the dinosaurs would go extinct because after the flood there was no area where it was hot enough all year long for them to be able to maintain their energy. (laughs) Whereas we like it cool. So only the highest levels um, of animals before the flood could exist after the flood because nowhere was their temperature warm enough for them to exist. So we have an explanation of why there's only small mammals in the Mesozoic. Why? Because the smaller you are, the bigger the surface area you have, the more you can get your heat across. Furthermore, if you come out at night, <coughs> if you're nocturnal and tiny, you can live. If you're diurnal and big, you can as long as um, it keeps your body temperature the same. So we can explain from a flood model why the fossil record is the way it is for the Mesozoic better than the evolutionist, evolutionary model can explain it. During the flood, large mammals, including man, would not run downhill to be destroyed by the rising flood waters. I would not expect to find human footprints and dinosaur footprints together. Yes, I'm gonna run down to the Mesozoic and see how it is as the floodwaters are rising. Mm -hmm. Don't think so. (laughs) Um, Now, would the dinosaur run uphill? Wait a minute, it's getting cold up here. (laughs) Um, I think I need to stay down here where it's warm. Besides which, how much is he thinking anyway when his brain's as big (laughs) as a (laughs) tooth? Oh, floodwaters, hmm, what does that mean? As um, somebody who understands the geologic column as as being formed by the flood, we can understand the extinction of the dinosaur. Not only can we explain why the mammals are small during the Mesozoic, but we can explain why they went extinct because that environment didn't exist post-flood. There's no place that warm. Furthermore, we don't need a a large comet or meteor to make things go extinct. Today, you can have any catastrophe except Noah's flood. You know, you can have comets and meteors and um, too much carbon dioxide and not enough carbon dioxide and anything but Noah's flood. But Noah's flood, in some instances, can explain the data better than, um, than the evolutionary model. Thank you. Did I finish on time? Whew. Nick of time. Thank you. Any questions? Yes, sir. Going back to your, your previous lecture, um, do we know enough about genetics that we could create a computer program Structures if there were an, an amalgamation. I, I don't think we could. Because as I look at these, assuming that these were formed by that. And 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 again, this is a model, it's not a proven. You know, this is just an explanation, an interpretation. Um, we don't know that this happened. But if it happened, there's a disconnect between how rapidly the skull becomes modern versus the, the skeleton. The skeleton became modern very quickly. So in biology terms F1 would be the first cross. F2 is a, a cross between the F1 and, and whatever you're crossing. So is the Australopithecine an F1? Um, where you get a, a, a skeleton that's halfway in between but a skull that's very modern, <laughs> I mean very ape-like. Or is the Homo um an F1 where you get a fully modern, or not a fully modern, but a very modern looking skeleton but a skull that's more, much more human-like. So without a database to be able to make those kinds of predictions, I don't see how you could do it with a computer model. Any other question? Yes, sir. Can you still say that there's no scientific data that provides better evidence than the flood? No. God has given room for people not to believe the Bible. And so there is information that's more difficult to understand from a biblical point of view. I think that overall the blood the bible and the flood explain a lot more different kinds of things than evolution does but god has left room for doubt did i say that right greg It does seem to me that, that God wanted creation to the life that he created, and it was his intention for it to stay within certain categories. And the the genetic tinkering that may have taken place, but it wasn't according to God's plan. Well, I'm not sure how much. Yeah. Um, because he, he certainly made it so it could be tinkered with right. <laughs> um, without dying. Um, Today if you tinker too much, if you cause too much mutation, the organisms die. Um, There are limits to the amount of change. So clearly man was to have some way of participating with God in creation. But how much that is, you know, I don't know. Clearly I I want to point out the confusion everywhere again. Uh, has anybody heard that God died for a chimpanzee I've never heard anybody argue that but you get flat earthers and stuff so I don't know if that exists but as far as I know nobody has said that God died for a chimpanzee does anybody here believe that he did Um, pretty much we think of chimpanzees as an animal Um, did, did Christ die for us Absolutely. Where in here did he not die for? Okay, he didn't die for a chimpanzee. Did he die for an australopithecine? Now, he's walking on two legs. You know, he's making tools. Uh, um, did 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 God die for an australopithecine? Personally, I don't think so. Um, what about... Uh, a Homo erectine, this Lunaria Katomi guy, now he's six feet tall. Um, making broad axes uh, out of making very nice stone tools. <laughs> did uh, did Christ die for an, um, a Homo erectine? Um, what about Rhodesia, man? That's a pretty brutal looking skull, <laughs> yeah, you know? Uh, Yeah, we didn't go into it because of time. Um, And I didn't even bring the animals. But there are also evidences. This is a chimpanzee thing. There are also evidences of of gorilla equivalents of the australopithecines. They have a sagittal crust and stuff. Um, And at some point between back crosses... You know, I don't know whether this guy could have been a result of one that came out of the Gorilla lineage rather than out of a, when I say lineage, I mean lineage of crosses, F1, F2, F3, who knows how many um, crosses. Um, Neanderthal is interesting. Many people believe he couldn't talk, that the hyoid bone in the throat was positioned such that he couldn't make the sounds that we do to, for, for truly human speech. But he, he clearly understood dying. Um, he buried his dead ritually with little statues that he'd made and strings of beads and stuff like that. So Neanderthal clearly understood death. Couldn't throw a baseball. I mean his shoulder was constructed differently actually. He couldn't be a baseball player. You'd be a football player, you would not want to, I mean, if I was looking for a running back, I'd come to a Neanderthal. Um, this is modern human, this is Neanderthal, but the same length. Look at the size of the trochanter on there, and he's his muscle, his bones are curved more. That's because as the muscles grow, they actually cause the, the bone to grow Curved because of the huge muscles at- attached um, and stuff. So, this guy would make a running back like you'd love to have She'd, Oakland Raiders. Um, but, um, yeah. <laughs> um, the confusion everywhere did, is wh- what did Christ die for? What does it mean to be human? If you can talk, does that make you human? You know, if you bury your dead, does that make you human? What does it take to make you human? And again, I want to stress over and over again that these are not racial characters. Every one of you here tested for yourself that you have um, a parietal bulge and a mental eminence, and you are human. Um, Yeah. Actually, dozens at least, if not more. Um, Somebody from Eastern Europe, a scientist, got in trouble some years ago in the community because he was selling some of these Neanderthal things because he didn't have a budget for his museum. (laughs) Uh, um, And so there were enough of them around that that he was able to put some on the market. Um, That's a big (laughs) no-no, you know um so in in some cases there are lots of them other cases they're unique there's a lot there's there's quite a few of these homohabilines and australopithecines. Um, erectines there's a lot of different kinds um, fourteen seventy is fairly unique there's no other one like it um, yeah. Oh yeah, oh uh, shoot! I should have. Kind of different from the genetic engineering, because usually, how I, I don't know that we understand at this point when you genetically engineer something, it's maybe. In, in Reproduce. Yes. Let's look at Dolly the sheep. Does everybody remember Dolly the sheep? Now this was a whole different kind of test tube thing. They took a cell out of a mammary gland of a sheep and took the DNA out of her um, her egg and placed that DNA in that egg and made a new, a clone of Dolly the sheep. (laughs) They took the mammary cell, they took the the DNA out of the mammary cell and put it into the egg and made a clone of the sheep. <laughs> now, it turns out the sheep didn't live as long because as you age, parts of your chromosomes, called telomeres, break off and it makes you age. Um, didn't know that. But but the point is we're able to do that kind of stuff now. Um, it would be no big deal to take the DNA out of a human sperm and put it into a chimp egg. Now, I wanna talk about reproducibility. A modern humans, humans, period. Living humans and great apes have different chromosome numbers. We have 46 chromosomes, the apes have 48. So when you hybridize, it's like the, the horse and the donkey. The horse has 26, and the donkey has 28, or reversed. I can't remember which one has which. When they reproduce, the mule ends up with 27. And so it has an odd number of chromosomes, so they can't divide and make sperm, uh, etc. And so they're sterile but you do a horse-zebra cross. Now, a zebra is a kind of donkey. Uh, um, you do a horse-zebra cross, and part of that extra that extra chromosome fuses on to another chromosome and makes an even number, and they end up fertile um, and can interbreed. So I, we have no idea um, what it would take to get these to interbreed a- after you do your first cross. Etc. I've thought how neat it would be to do the cross, make an australopithecine or Homo erectine or whatever, and prove to the world that they're genetic engineering. Then I think, if there's one sin above another, <laughs> the cause for the destruction of the race. Uh, no, let's not go there. <laughs> um, so I'm not advocating that we do the experiment. But we ha- but the technology is in the world to do the experiment. Yeah. So all of these other um, models uh, may not represent any species development per se. We're talking about uh, manipulation, genetic manipulation. And which one did, did Christ die for? Well, it had to be, to my mind, it had to be all of the, li- the, the exact lineage of Adam. And so whoever that is is who he died for. And and I think there's a statement about naturally amalgamation of animals and man. And so Yeah, yeah we ju- we just read that here and I hand I wasn't here earlier. Yeah, no, but um we have some this comes out um these are copies of uh spiritual gifts. I made copies because it's not an easy book to come by. Um although they're online now. Uh oh Sweeter. He would like one over there. To him? But it's the, it's the answer that these were amalgamations, and, and so therefore they don't have the same uh, input into them from God as, as Adam and Eve. That's my question. Yeah. And what's the implication they can make to them? Well, it says here l- okay. l- look on this one that was just before chapter 8, um, the first full paragraph from the bottom. Every species of animal which God created were preserved in the ark. The confused species which God did not create were destroyed by the flood. Since the flood there's been amalgamation of man and beast as may be seen in the almost endless varieties of species of animals and in certain races of men. Okay, so so there are amalgamation characters in certain races of men. Okay, now, did God die for me? Now, maybe I got some Neanderthal genes in me. Um, my ancestors came from England. Um, most of the Neanderthal fossils are coming from Spain and and France. Now, see, I, I, the only group of people I'll, that I'll admit to being prejudiced against are the French, uh, um, so maybe that's why I expect that. But um, you you can't make that designation across here because uh, when is 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 it possible that any of these were races of men? Uh, um, Now, I I personally don't think so because if you look at the face of all of these up to Cro-Magnon, the face. The f- And we did this before. The face of a chimpanzee and the face of a Neanderthal are not very differently shaped. So to me, Neanderthal is part of the same process that got um, g- um, developmental genes. Genes that, that control how we grow. Um, how the face grows, the fact that no human living today has a face like this. Um, I would say that this is probably has ape genes in it that came from this amalgamation process somehow. Um, But I don't think we can say first of all races is plural. Okay, so it's not pointing to any particular race. And um, we went through the process here and all verified that we have all human characters. We, we, We have a mental eminence, we lack a simian shelf, we have a parietal bulge. All those are purely anatomically modern human characters in all of the races here, and earlier, I had some Asians in here, I don't see any right now. But we've had like all, all races in here that verified that they had human characters. And, and so the, the Neanderthal <clears throat> still has a remnant of a simian shelf and lacks a mental eminence and has the chimp-like face so i put all of these from here down as products of amalgamation so if you ask me did he die for a neanderthal i would say probably not but i don't know because neanderthal could understand death so he could he understand right and wrong um i mean he he clearly Ritually buried his dead and sent them, buried things with them for the afterlife. (laughs) Um, None of these others do that. Only Neanderthal that I know of had a level of understanding that included, that had to be, you would have to call that sentient, self-awareness to know that there's an afterlife. None of these others, these are found in caves or lake deposits or whatever. Um, Just spread out. Um, So did Neanderthal have the ability to understand salvation? Now that's a tough one. But to me, I can see how this could cause confusion everywhere, what does it mean to be human? Um, and I had once had somebody ask me why people did this. Why would you cross these things? Well, for one thing, because you can. <laughs> um, we we have that kind of experimentation going on all the time today. I mean, why would you take a mammary gland and make another sheep? <laughs> you know. Um, but also... Curiously, you wonder how you get slave labor early after the flood. You know, there aren't enough people that are going to be good slaves to make the Tower of Babel. Um, maybe, this is a big maybe, some of these were created to help make the Tower of Babel, if they were done after the flood. I don't know, this is getting into way arm-waving territory. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um and there may not be any truth to any of it, um, but you start trying to think of why, and sometimes your imagination can get carried away. <laughs> but but these these casts represent real specimens, real individuals, and in many cases there are a number of individuals that share the same characters, and so we'll call them the same species, like these two. Are both we would call Homo habilis, um, and there were several. There are several um, copies of Beijing Man. Uh, like twelve of them were lost at World War II. Some marine took them, and it never been found since. <laughs> uh, um, serious, uh, but they have found a number of ones like it since in China. Um, so there were a large number of these erectines, um, this uh, this uh, Platyops, uh, Kenyanthropus platyops is a unique specimen, yes? Okay, so there are none of these men running in the jungle right now, today? No, although, well, I don't know. <laughs> I have to take that back. As far as I know, no. There's a new thing that's been real controversial lately: uh, the skeleton from Flores in Indonesia. Um, and the Indonesians think I, I have it, but I didn't bring it. We have it up at the school if you want to see it. Um, said it had it was microencephalic. So that's a that's a modern disease. You can have a baby born uh, a, with a small head called microencephalia. I took one look at that jaw and the face and I says the Indonesians are nuts <laughs> the Australians see you have to understand politics if you want to work in another country you got to team up with somebody from that country um, in order to be able to do your work and so the Australians teamed up with the head guy for um, the museums of Indonesia, and you have to understand Indonesian politics too. <laughs> um, Indonesians, whoever's the chop, top guy, he rules the roost. But anyway, he came out and said it's not um, a, a homo erectine, it's a microencephalic human. I took one look at that skull and I said, What are you looking at? <laughs> you know, this is a homo erectine. It, it it lacks a mental eminence, it has a simian shelf, has a very f- flat face. It looks more like a, f- uh, a, a, a small form of the 1470 with the flat across the face. So this has a radiocarbon date of like 18,000 years. So this is post-flood. Um, then I hear reports about another island of some people running around just like the Flores, um, population so when you say are these guys running around my first answer is no but <laughs> it's the same thing with dinosaurs you know you hear about all these dinosaurs like Loch Ness monster I'm sorry a dinosaur in a glacial lake <laughs> I don't think so <laughs> um However, this thing, or whatever it is, uh, from the Congo, well, if there's any place a dinosaur could possibly survive um, post-flood, it would be the Congo. Um, so I don't know. I'd say no, but <laughs> yes. Do you have any way to explain Bigfoot? <laughs> <laughs> yes, clever humans. <laughs> I'm from the Northwest. actually, oh, not two or three miles from property I still have, somebody set up a bigfoot trap. <laughs> and it's still there, and then now there's a sign there directing you where you can go look for this look at this big bigfoot trap. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> you know, you hear things like that. Yeti." I don't think so, but who knows about the Himalayas? They're not that explored. Oregon, I'm sorry. People have been crawling all over Oregon for 100 years and you never bumped into one of these guys. (laughs) I don't think so. Yes? Do you have a definition for what a human being is? No, that's what I was saying. What does it mean to be human? Yes, I do, but how do you tell what it is? To be human is to be able to know that you need to confess your sins and have faith in a Savior. How you see that in a bo- in a bone, I have no idea. In the in the Spirit of Prophecy, I remember reading how, how Christ had a high forehead. High forehead? forehead. Uh-huh. So Satan had a high one, And when I'm music, like, I was in the evening, I could see a difference in that. Yeah, and the height of the forehead. Mm-hmm right but that's the whole the thing about satan's is a little different because he started out with a high forehead if if you you know and and his activities have caused changes in his physical structure Uh, that doesn't happen to us much unless there's some kind of a disease going on well thank you all for coming have a good sabbath